And here we go. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios, it's overtime with William Patterson and Dawson Wise joining you on a Wednesday night. Happy Valentine's Day to all. 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and join in the conversation. Later on in the hour, we'll talk about how Kyle Kuzma said, I'm good to go into the Dallas Mavericks. Also, can the Doc fix the Bucks? The Bucks have struggled under Doc Rivers. We'll dive into that later on in the hour. But first, we begin with this. And it should Kyle Shanahan, or Kyle Shanahan, I should say, change his big game perception. The San Francisco 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan fell to 0-2 as a head coach in the Super Bowl with Sunday's loss um, to the Kansas City Chiefs. But don't tell the 49ers coach he or his team can't win a big game. Quote, when you say big games, we've had to win a bunch of big games to get to the Super Bowls. Quote, uh, Shanahan said Tuesday at the end of his end-of-the-season uh, news conference. Uh, quote, we've won a lot of big games here. We've won a lot of big games to get into the playoffs. The fact that we keep getting there shows you guys how much we can win the big games. These two Super Bowls have been tough, losing to Kansas City, but to think that if we win that, that means I can win a big game? No, that means our team won the Super Bowl. Quote, I hope that I can be a part of a team that wins a game at the end of the year, but to say the Niners can't win a big game, that would be extremely inaccurate. Uh, that was Kyle Shanahan's statement um, in the end-of-season news conference uh, on Tuesday. Are you buying or selling what Shanahan is saying? Selling. What? 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 Really? Come on. Uh, yes, it is true. There are a lot of big games that you play in before you play in the Super Bowl. That's fair. I'm not saying there's not. And I'm not saying that that team, in both years they've gone to the Super Bowl, hasn't played in big games to reach that point. But the Super Bowl is the biggest game of the year. There is no game bigger than that. You are one of two teams left, and it's either you win a championship or you lose a championship. I don't, I don't understand. You know, <laughs> I don't think many people, when they look back on a season, are wow, look at how many big games they yeah. won to finish second. Uh, I don't, I don't get this. I, I think to me, this is how I read it: is he's trying to justify the fact that now in all three of his Super Bowl appearances, whether that's as an assistant or now as a head coach. Uh, he's had a part in why his team lost those mm-hmm. games. Uh, for Atlanta, play calling in the second half, he abandons Devontae Freeman completely, loses the game to Tom Brady, and to this day still the most epic collapse we've seen yeah. uh, in, in the NFL. Uh, in their last trip to the Super Bowl before this one, uh, had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against Mahomes, just like they did on Sunday, mm-hmm. went away from good play calling, played conservative, the Chiefs ended up winning the game. You go away from it again on Sunday now. You go away from McCaffrey, which was working all night. You were gashing the Chiefs with the run all night long. You go away from it, the momentum swings, and all of a sudden, here comes Kansas City. They're right back in the game. You end up watching them beat you again. Yeah. To me, it's it's him trying to justify maybe uh, his part in these losses and say, well, that's just how it is sometimes when you get to the Super Bowl. But look at everything else I've done. Yeah. Uh, the problem is not a lot of people are going to be willing to look at what else you've done if you get to the championship game and lose on the biggest stage. Getting there is not the goal. The goal is to win a championship. And with a team like that for the Niners that was so good all year, there, there's nothing short of winning a championship. Your season is borderline a failure if you don't win a championship with a roster this caliber. So I'm selling. I don't I don't get this whole, well, look at all the stuff we did. You didn't win a championship. So you, how much did you really do? 
Yeah. Uh, I'm selling it as well. It kind of seems he's looking for a pat on the back here. Right. Uh, a participation trophy, uh, a Dundee award uh, for the office fans out there. <laughs> um, it, it looks like he's just trying to say, hey, you know what? I've done a lot here. I wasn't able to get it done in the big game, but come on. Give me some credit for everything I've done. Right. I mean, look, the 49ers roster should win these big games to get to the Super Bowl. There's a reason why they were the favorite going into this year and the favorite going into next year. They've got a all-star roster full of talent, um, top to bottom. Um, they should be playing in the big games. And when you get to those moments, I think a lot of people, um, you know, would have thought on 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 Sunday that, you know. Name-wise, the 49ers had the better team. Like, when you look top to bottom, now we thought the defensive line for the Chiefs was better, but when you look at the names on the other side, you have Bosa, Chase Young, a former number one overall pick. The names are a little bit bigger. Um, you've got George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams, um, uh, Juwan Jennings, no stray intended to be the last one there. But when you look at the Chiefs on the other side, they had, well, Patrick Mahomes, a good, def- a good offensive line. But Travis Kelsey and then a rookie wide receiver, and they were still able to get it done. I'm selling what he's saying here uh, because this is not the first instance where he has failed situationally in the big game. Um, you know, many people will remember the 2017 Super Bowl. Uh, it was at Super Bowl 52, I guess, um, where you had the all-time collapse. Falcons go up 28 to three. Shanahan's the OC of that team, and instead of running the ball. In limiting the opportunity Tom Brady has to get the ball back, they're throwing it. They're playing like they're trying to run up the score. Um, and as a result, it came back to bite them. Um, Patriots come back, formulate a 20, what was it, a, a what, 30? Uh, th- anyway, they came back, right? They came back and are able to get it done and as a result win that game. As a coordinator, first time in the Super Bowl, I get it. 2020 against the Chiefs again. They dominated through three quarters, and once they got towards the end of the game, uh, they collapsed and allowed the Chiefs to come back and win that game because they got they failed situationally on the offensive side of the ball. Um, instead of trying to drain the clock and prevent the opportunities from Patrick Mahomes, they allowed him to get back in the game. And on Sunday, you dominate the first half, in my opinion. I, I thought the 49ers completely controlled oh, the did. first half. You get the stop. Like, the big question was, all right, Chiefs score at the end of the first half. Now they get the ball back. They can knock this thing up. You get a stop. You get an interception. Get the ball like, the 40-yard line. Three straight pass plays goes nowhere. you got to punt it back to them. Okay, well, you get a stop again. Okay, all right. All right, we learned from that last possession. Surely, right? Three more pass plays. You kick it back to them. You get another stop, and then you muff the punt. Now the floodgates have been opened. How did the 49ers get to the NFC champ or get to the Super Bowl? Well, the Lions failed situationally. They went for it on fourth down twice and failed, and as a result, allowed the, the 49ers to come back and win that game. I think we've seen three instances now in the big game where Kyle Shanahan has failed at situational football. And it's one of the things I gave on Friday as a key to the game. You've got to win the situational football matchup. He lost once again. So I, I don't want to hear that we were good during the regular season. No one is going back and, and and looking at what you did in the regular season. I mean, talk about all the runner-ups in, in, in Super Bowl history, any 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 sport. No one's going back and saying, man, that team was really good in the regular season, right? Remember the Atlanta Falcons when they had 
Um, they went like 65, or I don't know, not 65. They won like 60 games, and they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and LeBron came in there and steamrolled them. No one talks about that Falcon, uh, that, uh, not Falcons, Hawks. Hawks. Yes, Hawks. Excuse yes. me. Yes. Atlanta Hawks team. The, uh, no, number one in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Jeff Teague. The yeah, Jeff, Jeff Teague, Teague uh, Kyle Corver, yeah. um, Al, Al Horford. Horford. Yeah. That team was so good in the regular season. They get steamrolled by LeBron. And nobody no one, remembers No that. one gives a rip. People care about what you do in the biggest moments. So I don't want to hear that you've won big games to get to those games. Yeah, they were big games. You had to win them. But you had to get to the big game, and you had to succeed in the big game for there to be the pat on the back. They win this game. Yeah, I'll pat you on the back. You got it done. But the fact that you dominated the first half, and had the best quarterback we've seen since Tom Brady, debatably on the same level as Tom Brady, and you allow him back in that game and allow them to win, I don't think you deserve a pat on the back. And I think it, him saying that in the press conference is a really bad look. I'm not selling a thing what he said, or I'm not buying a thing what he says. I, I think it's a, a poor, poor angle to take. Yeah, a couple things. To me, that second half, the way they approached it, it, it looked like, Deathly similar to the second half of the Falcons Patriots game, mm-hmm. where they just—I don't know if the, he comes out of the locker room and just feels like he just has to go all out, go full force, and try to score two more touchdowns and really put the game out of reach. I figured they would have done that with the run game. I really did. I could almost excuse the first two trips. You, you mentioned the, the first one against the Patriots. Okay, it's your first time there as a coordinator. Yeah. No harm, no foul, whatever. Yeah, you collapsed, and it's going to be remembered. But okay, learn from it. The second one. I mean, you're facing a Chiefs team that 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 team was yeah I mean, world's yeah, better Kill, Travis, than this yeah. one. You had you know Tyreek and, and Watkins, and that that team rolled all year. Yeah, this year's Chiefs team did not. No. Uh, this was not the Chiefs that are dominant. This one, I it, oh, I don't, I'm not gonna say it's the worst of the three. I still think the Falcons one's the worst of the three. Yeah, this one probably second though. I mean, it's just in the first half, especially. This is not a team that they looked lifeless borderline barring that last second score in the first half completely lifeless i mean mm. you had full control in this game and i ain't want everybody to pat you on the back even though you went out and did the same thing you've done before oh man well outside of allowing them back into the game with the the you know the first couple second half drives you also had the opportunity to put the game away um on that last drive you had the ball last you had the ball last against patrick mahomes and oh i guess you would have had the ball last if you ran the clock out um you're right, uh, right around the the two minute warning. You get a second and four, and this is this is still in the fourth quarter in regulation. Um, and then you pass it; it's completed to George Kittle for no yards. And then you throw it again on third down, stops the clock. You have to kick the field goal. Um, I don't know why on second and four you wouldn't run just with run your bell cow running back in McCaffrey that just won the offensive player of the year. If they get that first down, by the way, the game's probably over. Yes, they don't have time to stop. It's because over. At that point, Kansas City, I think, had already taken one of their timeouts, and they only have one left. You don't have enough time to stop the clock. It's over. It's over. Um, and I think it was Rusty called in on Monday and posed the the question of, okay, in overtime, you know, you already went, th- went for it on fourth down earlier in the game. Uh, why would you not go for it on fourth down um, towards the end of it? Um, or when you had that last possession, you ended up kicking the field goal. Um, and taking the points, I understand, but why not You know, at least put yourself in this situation and have that option? Because I think one of the worst situational spots in this game for Shanahan was after McCaffrey has that beautiful 30-yard run where he wins the one-on-one matchup, I think it was against Snead, goes down the sideline, gets to around the 25-yard line. Now you're like, okay, 49ers about to put up a touchdown here. Um, you 
throw Elijah Mitchell out there, who's a, a good number two, but he's not Christian McCaffrey, and it's the biggest game of the season. I would have called a timeout, make sure McCaffrey is rested and ready to go out for the next play because when the margin of error is so small, especially in the Super Bowl and especially against Patrick Mahomes, you have to be on your A game. And it's like, why are you I – mean, you're not resting him for, uh, you know, Cancun on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, you're, you, this is the last opportunity you have to win. And you take him out two plays, they both stall. Uh, I thought Mitchell had a good run. I don't remember if it got him a first down, but it was, I think, an eight, nine-yard run. I can't remember. I thought for sure he converted a first down on that drive. but Did he? I thought he had one. Now, the other one, yeah, went no. I think that was the other one might have been the one that got blown up for a loss. Okay, okay. But I – I think he had one decent run on that drive, but I mean, why, why is he? But out still, there? why is he out there? I would have called timeout and put McCaffrey right back in the game. McCaffrey had been gashing them all all e- night. Exactly. Call get, a time. You have three of them. Call yeah. a timeout. Get some what? Gatorade. Those little Gatorade chews or some of that uh, that Gatorade <laughs> juice. Yeah. yeah, whatever it is, get it in them and get them back on the field. <laughs> um, so I, look, I, I talked about it on, on Monday. Talked about it on my podcast on Monday as well. I just I think there have been so many instances now where Kyle Shanahan drops the ball in the biggest game with situational football, and this was another example. And I think talking about it in the press conference like it's, you know, we accomplished a lot in the regular season, I think it's in really poor taste. Uh, San Francisco has reached the playoff four times in Shanahan's seven seasons with the 49ers. Each time, the team has at a minimum reached an NFC Championship game, and Shanahan has a 8-4 and four career playoff record. Is Kyle Shanahan good enough to bring a trophy to the Bay? I still think he is. Just just pure talent. You, you know, we talked about situational, and I'll get to that again in a minute. But pure talent of coaching, I think he is. I mean, an offensive mastermind. One of the best offensive minds in the league, maybe besides Andy Reid, uh, and has the scheme and the weapons to get the job done. We saw him, again, come to the doorstep again for the second time in four years. Those weapons continue to develop. You had a great year out of McCaffrey this year as well. I think you've got everything in place to still win, uh, and he's even been able to, to to help mold Brock Purdy a little bit into at least a serviceable NFL quarterback. Now, I know people will go either way on his Super Bowl performance. I thought he played very well in the Super Bowl compared to what we've seen out of him uh, all season, made some great throws, and Shanahan's credit to that. Uh, he has to get better at play calling with the lead in these big games. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to, again, awareness of the situation that you're in. Uh, McCaffrey rolling the whole game, uh, you go away from it, and Kansas City grabs that momentum and claws back in and never looks back. Uh, the situational awareness, the, the worst situational thing, and I talked about it yesterday, uh, is not knowing the overtime rules. Yeah, This was so weird to me. Um, I thought it was weird – uh, when, when they even called for the ball, uh, when they got the coin toss in overtime, and, and they immediately said, "We want the ball," and I was like, "Huh?" Because I mean, they they slant, they plaster the rules up on the screen, yeah. And you see, well, if the defense gets a stop, they can score and win the game because both teams are going to get the ball. Or even if they score a touchdown, the defense is the, the defensive team is going to get the ball. And then so they say they want the ball. I was like, "Why in the world would you give of all people Patrick Mahomes the ball last in the Super Bowl?" Uh, I I didn't get it. That's another thing. It just be more aware. Uh, if he wants to win a title, you got to be more aware, and that was the most glaring example of it. Uh, I, I think Kyle Shanahan is good enough to win a Super Bowl. Um, I, I think there's a reason why he's had so much success with the 49ers. Um, he, he's kind of that Sean McVay, just that young guy that understands the game um, and understands the modern NFL 
offense, and he's an offensive guru. You know, we, we I, I sit sit up here and glaze, you know, Ben Johnson for his ability <laughs> and all these offensive minds because I, I really think it is the way to win in, in NFL football now, and he's one of the best. I, I think him and Andy Reid, Sean McVay, um, you know, Ben Johnson as a coordinator, they're all some of the best in the league, um, and I think having that on on your staff is huge. Um, but as a head coach, there are more duties than just what you call offensively, and I think that's where he's also dropping the ball. You mentioned overtime. Um, and I did not – in the moment, I was like, why would you give it up? But I did think your defense just came off the field after a, a two-minute drill. Yeah. Um, they could be gassed, don't want to throw them back out there. But when you hear after the game, the two different types of preparation that the, t- that the two coaches did. Uh, Andy Reid, Chris Jones was asked after the game, uh, what would you have done if you know the 49ers were scored, or would have scored? What was your overtime plan? Oh, we've talked about it for two weeks. Uh, we've planned for this moment. Uh, we were going to go for it for we were going to go for two if we had scored to end the game. Uh, Kyle Uzcheck was asked about it. <laughs> And uh, he like, uh, he said, um, "Oh, I, we didn't actually even know the overtime we, rules." That changed. was the worst rule, uh, the worst of all the statements. I think was used checks because I think he said something like, uh, "We thought we were going to win if we scored," which was the worst thing that any of them said about the overtime rules. Oh, we, oh, and would have made them look. And we talked about it yesterday. Yeah. made them look like morons that they scored Shit, a touchdown oh, on like, that first I, try. <laughs> I saw someone on Twitter say that, um, X, whatever oh, you want to call it. Man. I just I cannot imagine they score and everyone just runs out and acts they, like, get, like can you imagine, a fifteen yard penalty. Yeah. Can you imagine if like Shanahan got dumped with Gatorade oh, and all that too? No. The whole nine yards. I don't want to. Oh my god. I don't want to imagine. Um that. but the fact that we're laughing about it just shows how ridiculous it is that they were not prepared for that. And the right. fact that no one on the roster knew what the new rules were. They've been in place for a while now, too. And Shanahan, I know he's played an overtime game before um, in the Super Bowl. I mean, you got to at least prepare from your past where you were unable to get it done in overtime. Now, I know it's because the Patriots got the ball, but in this situation, you got to know, I mean, at home I knew they moved, they changed the, the rules a couple of years ago. Yeah, Many people did let alone a head coach in the Super Bowl, um, I think he is good enough. I just think he struggles with situational spots, and I don't know if he's capable of getting his team prepared against a all-time coach in Andy Reid, um, getting prepared against an all-time team with an all-time uh, quarterback. And he might not have to face that if he makes it again, but I, I'm, I, I, unless he plays Nick Sirianni, I, I'd bet that um, – the opposing coach will know what's going on. Right. Um, so, um, he is good enough. He's a great offensive mind, but he's got to get better situationally, and he cannot be unprepared uh, going into a Super Bowl. Another storyline that stemmed from this game uh, has to do with Brandon Ayuk. Uh, 49ers wide receiver Brandon Ayuk was a man of few words following the 49ers' loss on Sunday, um, saying, quote, if that's the right move, Yeah. Ayuk answered when asked if he'd like to remain in San Francisco in response to a follow-up question about what the right move would look like, he said, quote, being a champion. Um, uh, if it's the right move, yeah, is kind of what you say when 
the McDonald's person ask if you want fries with your burger. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, throw it in there. I'll, I'll, yeah, whatever. Um, very nonchalant answer, and I think it also speaks to kind of the vibe with the 49ers right now. Sometimes these big losses, especially um, when there's poor management um, from a head coach um, and poor decisions from a head coach, it can stem some animosity within a locker room. I'm not saying the 49ers have problems internally, but an answer like this was very concerning. Um, should the 49ers make it a priority to keep Ayuk? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he blossomed into one of their more elite playmakers all year, one of the best playmaking wide receivers in the NFL, I would say, over the course of the year and then especially in the postseason. Became basically their primary weapon in that Lions-NFC championship game in the second half. Felt like he was making a clutch play every other play, it felt like, on every one of those drives. So, absolutely. I mean, he helped. He, he was a big part of helping get them there. Uh, so you know why not make every effort to bring him back, make him realize that you know he is a cornerstone. Now they didn't do it in the Super Bowl. Now I can't remember what the stat was uh, for his for the final tally, but at one point in that game he had three targets, and it was yeah. late in the game. Uh, for a guy like that, for a playmaker like that, and I understand Kansas City probably focused in on him, made him go to other other options, but you got to find him in these big games. That's why he probably feels the way he does, is because he never had a chance to make an impact on the game. It felt like. Uh, he was always just off to the side. Somebody else was getting the yeah. ball. I think that's why you see some animosities because they went other directions. Then you know, put the ball in my hands and I'll go make a play. Yeah. Um, if you do keep him, you got to promise him you're going to get the ball more in in these big games because it, these guys aren't going to want to stick around. They're going to want to go somewhere where they're going to say, "Hey, you are our guy in the playoffs. We're going to get the ball to you, no matter what we have to do. You will have the ball in your hands." Uh, if San Francisco can't do that, he'll go elsewhere. And I don't blame him in the slightest. If you can't keep him, you're going to regret it. Yeah. Uh, he's going to he's going to be a big playmaker wherever he goes. Uh, so if you lose him, uh, I think you lose a lot of the success of that offense as well. Now it, it is interesting. I don't remember if it's one of his friends uh, posted on social I think it was media. His girlfriend was his girlfriend. Yeah. That po- that posted something like uh, Brandon Ayuk to Vegas that they were. Oh. I think it was one of his friends. Okay. Okay. That Good. was basically okay. going on this long rant about how you know he wants to be somewhere he's going to be valued, and, and the, the Niners don't value him like that, and the fact that he's not getting targets, he should go somewhere else. So uh, apparently the people around Brandon Ayuk, not very fond of him saying in San Francisco, uh, we'll see what he has to say uh, you know, in the coming days. I think it might have been his girlfriend uh, that put on Instagram on one of her stories that said that um, you know this is a, I guess a bittersweet moment, could be Brandon's last time playing yeah, and and Levi Stadium. I don't know if that was posted after the Lions game or not, um, but Brandon Ayuk this season had an incredible year: um, seventy-five receptions, um, thirteen hundred forty-two yards, um, seventh in, in the league in, in that category. Seven touchdowns, averaged eighteen yards per catch. Um, so he was a guy that was impactful all season long, and uh, really, I think had his his best season of his career. Um, losing him, I think, is is losing a a a, ri- a reliable target and b a consistent downfield threat. Um, Debo, they don't really use downfield too much. It's more so within 15 yards. Um, Kittle can sneak out for a, a bigger gain than 15 yards, but um, Ayuk's usually their their home run hitter. And losing a guy like him would be really detrimental to this team. Um, I think in the Super Bowl, you question the the passing um, the passing game plan because George Kittle was not very much involved. 
Um, Ayuk was not very much involved. Now, Jawan Jennings had a couple really big moments, um, and, and you know those passes could have very well taken away opportunities from Ayuk and Kittle. Um, but in the biggest game, your home run hitter not really being an impact and your star tight end not really being an impact. And I know we wanted them to run the ball uh, a lot more, so it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to get mad at them for not throwing it, but at the same time not running it either. Um, but I think they could have used him a little bit differently or tried to find a way to get him the ball because when he gets the ball, he's a playmaker. Um, and I think he's just genuinely frustrated. That's the biggest game of his career, biggest moment, and he's one of the bigger players on that roster. It's an opportunity to make an impact, and he wasn't really able to. You should be throwing it to Ayuk instead of, and forgive me, I can't remember his name, but Purdy, one of Purdy's best throws of the night was to like their six-string receiver, and I can never remember what the guy's name was. A former chief, I think they said, uh, but I, I, it's slipping from me. Uh, it was that little fade, really nice rainbow arc ball that Purdy threw across the middle, headed towards the left sideline. One of his best throws that I've ever seen him make. Uh, but it was to – I don't even know the guy's name. Like, he just hadn't really played much for them. Why is that ball not going to Brandon Ayuk? Like, what? what? He's running a different route. And, yeah. you know, he got open several times in the game. And they're throwing it elsewhere. I just – I understand why he's frustrated if that's the case. Uh, is Chris, right? Chris Conley. There you go. Yeah, Chris Conley. Former Kansas City Chief Chris Conley. Yeah. Uh, but why is the ball going to him and not Brandon Ayuk? That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, uh, Ayuk had six targets, only three oh, yeah. receptions, 49 yards. Three catches, okay. Um, but McCaffrey had eight targets, uh, eight receptions. He was big, 80 was yards. Um, now, granted, one of those was the uh, Juwan Jennings touchdown pass. Um, but, yeah, I, I, they cannot afford to lose him. They need to make sure it's a priority to, A, mend the relationship. Um, if there's any any issues with it right now, mend the relationship, bring him back. He's too too good of a player uh, to not return. All right, when we come back, we'll f- flip over to the hardware where Kyle Kuzma said, I'm good to go into the Dallas Mavericks. We'll break it down here on Overtime. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865. 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com Get the best for your team delivered right and on time So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today eBay Motors here for the ride elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need eBay Motors has it all at affordable prices and with eBay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to bring home the win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only, exclusions apply I was afraid to cut the cord, but once I did, I couldn't believe it took so long to do it. Paying too much for my cable bill had become a bad habit. 
I either wasn't getting what I wanted or never knew where to find any of my favorite shows until it was too late. Plus, the prices just kept going up. Thankfully, I discovered a new way to watch called Philo. For just $25 a month, I can catch all my favorite shows on networks like BET, MTV, and TLC. It even has Nickelodeon for my kids. I can watch anytime I want, anywhere I want. Plus, Philo lets me have up to three streams at once, so everyone can watch what they want at the same time. Throw in the unlimited DVR that saves all my favorites for up to a year, and this really is the best deal in TV. I just wish I hadn't waited so long. Sound too good to be true? Well, try it out for yourself, and you'll see why people who love TV love Philo. Go to philo.tv, that's P-H-I-L-O dot TV, and start your seven-day free trial now. Back here on Overtime on a Wednesday night. Thank you so much for joining us. 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and join. Uh, Let's now flip over to the NBA, um, where the NBA trade deadline passed last Thursday. We we did a great deep dive into it. And one of the the teams we talked about before the deadline closed was the Dallas Mavericks. And um, one of the guys I said that they should probably look into was Kyle Kuzma. Um, the Mavericks were in need of an athletic uh, wing that could defend multiple positions and also play um, offensively at three levels. That's exactly what Kuzma is. Now they go out and, and make a trade um, and, and add Daniel Gafford. Um, they add, um, gosh, it's slipping my mind, the other guy they got. Um, Washington. Uh, yes, P.J. Washington. Washington. Yes, 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 P.J. Washington. Um, but they make they end up making two moves. But the Wizards actually came very close to trading forward Kyle Kuzma to the Dallas Mavericks in the days leading up to the deadline. However, when Wizards chief decision maker Michael Winger informed Kuzma that the general framework of a trade was in place to send Kuzma to the Mavericks, Kuzma told Winger he wanted to remain in Washington. Um, Kuzma's averaging 21.8 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, on 46% shooting a night. Uh, however, Washington is 9-44, and 44, uh, the league's second-worst team. And uh, Dallas sits 8th in the Western Conference at 31-23. and 23. Uh, Is it a bad look for Kuzma that he'd rather play uh, the main role on the second-worst team in the league than contend for a playoff? Uh, depends on who you ask. Um, for me... Not really, uh, at least not you know really horrible. Um, he would have been at least option number three in Dallas. He obviously prefers to still be the lead guy on or on a team, even if that team is not very good. Uh, he prefers to just be the main guy, the main leader, that kind of thing in Washington. Uh, for me, it, it's maybe less of that, more potentially. He just didn't really see Dallas as a chance to win a ring. Maybe he wants to wait, go to somewhere he can for sure win a championship. Uh, Dallas has kind of been that weird team. At times they look really good. At times they look really bad. It, it's been very shaky, hovering right around 500. Now they're a little bit over 500 now, but they've been hovering right around that all year. Not a team I think that's that's going to win a championship this year. It doesn't feel like it anyway, uh, at least in this season. Um, and maybe if it's a team that comes knocking that maybe is in a better spot to win a championship that needs someone like him, uh, like – 
even potentially the L.A. Lakers, mm-hmm. if they had come knocking again to, to get him back, or, or Boston or Denver, or somebody like that, maybe he takes a little bit more of a back seat uh, and says, okay, I'm willing to give up more of my role because I know I'm going to be contending for a championship for sure. Um, it, it's either that or you know people like to say somebody went into business for themselves. It could be that as well. Just his statistics are really good this year. He's having a really good year for himself. Maybe he just wants to boost his own value so that when he can leave to go somewhere to contend for a championship, he's got a lot of suitors knocking. Uh, Again, it kind of just depends on who you ask. I've seen both sides of this, so uh, I'm not really sure. Um, He just signed a four-year, $120 million extension this summer um, to stay in Washington. Now, he was traded as a part of that Russell Westbrook trade a couple of years ago. Yeah. when I heard the news, I, I thought it was a little bit odd. Now, I've seen some storylines that are pretty funny. Um, this, this one article I read, the headline was, has Kyle Kuzma lost his mind? Mm. Um, but I, I think, because he was open about it, he talked about it I, I think a couple days ago, where he said, um, it was presented to me, but I've already won a championship. I'd rather try to build something in Washington. Um, my only thing is, what is Washington – been building over the last 10 years they're a very very dysfunctional franchise they draft poorly um and i i don't know what really you could build there the jordan pool kyle kuzma tandem has probably been one of the biggest circus shows in recent nba history um i think it's a little bit not selfish but saying i rather kind of be the laid-back star making a lot of money and scoring a lot of points for the second-worst team in the league than contending for a championship. I think you can question his drive to be, I guess, successful in the league. I get – I get. look, he's making his money. He's putting up a ton of great numbers. I understand that, you know, some people just kind of say, you know, I, I kind of like how it is right now. I understand that. Um, but I think what people – what rubs people the wrong way is him kind of passing on an opportunity – to jump from the second-worst team to a contender. Um, so I, I, it's not a necessarily a bad look, but I do say um, I, don't, I, I don't love it. I don't, I don't, it's not a bad look, but I don't love it. Um, and I, I think a little bit has to do with probably the dynamic in, in Dallas where it's Kyrie and Luka and everyone else kind of figures it out. You know, um, A lot of isolation um, with Luka, who's so special. Kyrie, ball dominant as well. And they're looking for pieces that can kind of be complimentary to them. Uh, P.J. Washington's not a guy that's demanding the ball. Complimentary piece. Uh, Daniel Gafford really doesn't get involved too much offensively. Now he has as of late um, since he got to Dallas. But he's more there for defense to be that um, guy that protects the rim. Um, So I I thought the Kuzma trade would have been a nice fit for Kuzma. um, Or, you know, Kuzma to the Mavericks would have been a nice fit for him. Um, but he clearly thinks otherwise. Otherwise, is are Luca and Kyrie as a tandem? Is that appealing to other NBA players to play alongside? I would have said yes before the year started. Uh, this year, it's been one where like one night they'll look great and they'll be like, "Wow, this is a great tandem. This is working really well." And then the next night, oh man, it's rough. And uh, I think it's. It just hasn't looked functional. Uh, it is a contending team, yeah, but they're, they're, I think they get in each other's way. Uh, and I think it gets in the team's way of potentially winning a championship. That's something that could derail a playoff series. Uh, those guys both say, well, I want the ball. No, I want the ball. Well, 
all of a sudden now you're down three games to one and you're you're looking at elimination. Uh, their play styles don't mesh very well. You said they're both very ball dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it, we've seen it not work on teams before where guys need to all want the ball. It didn't work yeah. for the Lakers with or was it the Lakers had Russell Westbrook? I know he's yes. been on the Lakers and Clippers at yeah. some point yes. in his career. Yeah. It didn't work for the Clippers either when they had Russell Westbrook. It worked a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him have moments, but again. You know, with with him in the lineup, with Kawhi in the lineup, with Paul George in the lineup, it doesn't work. Uh, too many guys that need the ball. Um, so maybe that's part of why Kuzma said no. Just doesn't want to go to that kind of situation. Um, I think it could be similar to what Phoenix had to deal with at first. I hate to go back to the Suns again, but they had this problem too early mm-hmm. in the year. Three guys that all need the ball: Bradley Beal, ball dominant, needs mm-hmm. the ball to score. Devin Booker, ball dominant, obviously can do great things with the ball in his hands. Kevin Durant, probably the most ball dominant of all three of them. Yeah. Um, just always demanding the ball, and otherwise just kind of standing off to the side watching mm-hmm. the other guys work. Uh, but they, now they've figured it out. Um, they, they found a way to where they follow the hot hand instead of um, trying to force all of their stats, uh, which they did early in the year. We've kind of seen them grow over the course of the first uh, last 15 games or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas could follow that, but they haven't yet. Uh, they're still in that rut where both Kyrie and Luca want to be the star of the show. They're supposed to be co-stars with each other, and it's just not really working out. Yeah, um, you know, anytime you put these, and and I'm not, I'm going to say this real quick. Kyle Kuzma, Luca, and Kyrie would not be a super team. No, but anytime you put these super teams together with a, a bunch of guys that need the ball, um, it doesn't always work out. And I, I think that the Kyrie Luca tandem, when they made that trade, I thought it was an odd one. And I thought it was a kind of um, a little bit of a uh, Mark Cuban getting in his feels a little bit about letting Jalen Brunson walk and thinking that he had to make a move to kind of say, okay, I I knew what I was doing all along. Um, And it didn't work last year. Uh, They're 31 and 23. It's worked to, in a sense, this year. But they're not a team that I think does any damage come playoff time. and adding Kuzma wouldn't really push the needle too much either, but I think it does give him another score, another option. But I think when you look at it, Kuzma says, I get the ball here every night in Washington. I don't really take a backseat to anyone. And that's not the best mentality to have, but if you go over to Dallas, you're taking a backseat to two guys that are going to have the ball and have the say pretty much every possession. And then you're kind of the other guy. And he was already the other guy when he played for the Lakers. And they shipped him off. Um, so I don't, it, it, may, it may be that as well. I don't think the Luca Kyrie tandem is very appealing to play with um, for any team. Um, Grant Williams, you know, has been happy as hell to get out of there. He's been talking about it in the Hornets presses, um, taking subtle shots. Um, but he said, you know, I, I enjoy playing here now in Charlotte because the guys play for the name on their front of their chest, not on the back. Um, taking a little bit of a dip there into most likely Kyrie that, and Luca. That explains the storyline today that I saw from um, I, I was somebody at ESPN that said that the reason that they got rid of Grant was because he, and this is a, a quote from ESPN, because he was yapping. Yeah. Uh, I guess it makes sense now. Well, he also switched uh, his shoes. He used to wear, oh, yeah. he used to wear Luca's shoes at the beginning of the year and switched oh, them back to boy. Jason Tatum. Um, so I guess, <laughs> petty. Yeah. I, anyway, I, if you want to read into that, it's petty, know, but, um, or maybe he just likes playing in Jason Tatum's shoes. I don't know. Uh, maybe his former teammate, but, um, 
Yeah, I, look, I, I just don't think it's a very appealing brand of basketball. I'd much rather go to a spot where I can be um, a consistent role and not have to sit around and watch uh, every night. So um, I understand Kuzma's move. I don't like that he came out and said it like that, though, because it gives him a, a bad look, in my opinion. Um, or not a bad look, but it, it rubs people the wrong way, I should say. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about can the Doc fix the Bucks? We'll be right back on Overtime. Are you ready to flash that dazzling smile? Well, look no further than Knoxville Smiles. Our experienced team is here to give you the care and attention you deserve. From routine checkups and cleanings to advanced cosmetic treatments, we've got you covered. Say goodbye to dental worries and hello to a confident, radiant smile. Don't wait any longer. Schedule your appointment today and unlock the power of your smile. Call 865-539-1776 to schedule your appointment today or just visit KnoxvilleSmiles.com. When it's past high noon, it's time for a vodka soda made with a vodka you've actually heard of. I'm talking White Claw vodka soda made with White Claw premium vodka. J.B. Smooth only drinks vodka soda made with the world's smoothest vodka. And you can too. Pick you up a bottle of the triple wave filtered vodka that's been distilled five times. White Claw Premium Vodka comes in four flavors. Black cherry, mango, pineapple, and just vodka. You haven't had vodka like this. No one has. White Claw Premium Vodka. Please drink responsibly. The superbly versatile all-electric EQB from Mercedes-Benz. A compact SUV that's full of big surprises. An optional fold-out third row offers luxurious comfort for up to seven occupants. And almost 24 cubic feet of cargo space means this compact SUV is big enough to handle anything you can throw at it or in it. You can set the tone any way you like with 64 color customizable ambient lighting throughout. And just like every other Mercedes-Benz EV, the EQB features the very latest generation MBUX voice activated tech. So whether you want to set a new destination, change the tunes, or tune up the heat, all you have to say is, hey Mercedes, this vehicle's all electric, the feeling's all Mercedes. Test drive the EQB today at your local dealer or learn more at MBUSA.com EQB. That's MBUSA.com EQB. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Is your home's exterior in need of a makeover? If so, it's time to call North Knox Siding and Windows. Transform your home's curb appeal with premium siding options. From classic to modern styles, they've got something to suit every taste. Upgrade to energy efficient windows that'll keep your home comfortable all year round while saving you money on your energy bills. North Knox Siding and Windows. Get ready to fall in love with your home all over again. Online at NorthKnoxSidingAndWindows.com.
All right, rounding out a Wednesday on overtime. Thank you so much for joining us. Now there are a lot of options out there. Um, let's wrap it up with can the Doc fix the Bucks with Tuesday's 123 to 97 loss to the Miami Heat. The Milwaukee Bucks have a three and six record with Doc Rivers at the helm, while nearly all of those six losses have come with a positive mes- message or reassurance uh, from Rivers. Very Kyle Shanahan esque. Uh, that the Bucks made progress in some regard that they can build on. The wire-to-wire loss against the Heat did not come with the similar post-game messaging. However, the Heat ended the game shooting 19 for 40 from three-point range, 48%. After some garbage time, misses dragged down their percentage, uh, but they spent most of the night shooting well above 50% from deep. After one quarter, Miami was 7 for 11 from three knocking down open three after open three. In the end, it was a disappointing follow-up effort after one of Milwaukee's best wins of the season against Denver on Monday and a stark reminder that the Bucks are not going to be an overnight fix. It's going to take rest it's going to take, excuse me, uh, the rest of the regular season for the Bucks to put themselves in a position to be ready for a deep postseason run. Uh, Dawson are the Bucks in trouble. I mean we're getting to that point, right? It's got to be getting to that point uh, at this rate. I figured when they brought in Rivers that they would at least immediately take a step forward, uh, and they just really haven't. Uh, I mean, they, they've still been – because even before Rivers, they were winning games uh, against good teams. That wasn't their problem. The problem is, you know, they would win, or when they lost, they would lose badly, and they would be they would ugly losses, really bad losses. And, man, this one to Miami, uh, this was brutal. Uh, they just never could find their way into this game. Um Felt like Miami had their number all night long. They try, they just could never get anything to work. Uh, this does not look like the team that is two years removed from an NBA championship mm-hmm. and one year removed from being the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, uh, They look rough at best, I think, in their losses. Now, they look good in their wins. The problem is uh, it's either, wow, they look great, or wow, they look really bad. Uh, and you know, there's no middle of the road. Well, they looked okay. There's mm-hmm. never been that. And that's not going to win you anything in the playoffs. No. No. Uh, defensively, they just have not gotten any better. No. Uh, and, and we figured when Doc Rivers came in, maybe he would help fix that. He just has not. This is not, even with their trades, this is just not a very good defensive team. They're really suffering from the losses of guys like Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen that really helped them on the defensive end of the floor. They're suffering from it. Uh, and if you can't stop anybody, again, you're not going to win in the postseason if you if you can't make a stop. Mm-hmm. So uh, at this point, we're getting very close. We're we're tilting on the edge of uh, season derailed and in big time trouble. Yeah, you know they fired Adrian Griffin because their defense was lackadaisical and took a huge step back from where they've been over the last couple of years. Um, they bring in Doc Rivers to try and mend that, um, and. They're losing thirty, you know, sixty-six percent of their games. They're three and six now with them. Uh, they've not yet got any rhythm, um, and in a performance like last night against the Heat is embarrassing. You're on your home floor, allowing a team to shoot forty-eight percent. Really should have been um, well over fifty percent. And um, this team, with Giannis and, and Damian Lillard, uh, are way too talented to be suffocating uh, performances like that defensively. One of my big questions when this trade happened over the summer for Damian Lillard was, okay, this is you know all good and well offensively, but Damian Lillard at this stage in his career does not play defense, and he was never really a defensive-minded guy. Right. You lose Drew Holiday, who's been one of the top defenders on the perimeter for multiple seasons. You lose Grayson Allen, 
who is a really good three-point shooter and also is a good defender on the perimeter, um, where are you getting the defense from? And they've yet to find that answer this year. Um, I don't know if it's really a Doc Rivers question to ask. I think it's just a personnel question. And I think, um, you know, the, the Pat Bev addition is nice, but then you run into the issue of you got to run Damian Lillard and Pat Bev both on the floor, and now you're taking a little bit of a size hit. I know you have Giannis, um, but now you're taking a significant size disadvantage um, on the perimeter. So I think the Bucks are in trouble defensively. Um, I mean, offensively in the NBA, it's hit or miss. You know, uh, you know, nights like last night, I think uh, Lillard finished with like 16. Um, Giannis didn't have his best performance either, had around 20. Um, no Chris Middleton either. Uh, but defense, allowing 127 points on your home floor is not going to win you games come playoff time. And I really worried about the Bucks in the summer come come playoff time defensively, and I still do. Um, and I don't think it's a, a Doc Rivers problem to fix. I think it's just a personnel issue. We'll have to see uh, where they go from here. All right, real quick, let's move over to the the diamond where um, you know we yesterday we did our we talked about the Tennessee baseball team as they gear up to play this weekend um, in Arlington and. Uh, Tennessee's baseball game notes for this weekend's matchups um, have been released. Um, at, at catcher, Cannon Peebles or Cal Stark. Um, no real surprise there. Um, first base, Blake Burke. Second base, Brad Key Lowry. Um, and, and that is a, a change moving Christian Moore to shortstop. Uh, Billy Amick, transfer from Clemson, will be at third base. Um, you have uh, Hunter Inslee, Kavaris Tears. Um, Dylan Dreeling in, in, in the outfield, no real changes there. Um, your game one starter will be A.J. Russell. Game two starter will be Drew Beam. Game three is to be determined. So a couple of questions we had uh, yesterday, um, one of them has been answered. Who will play shortstop? Um, Christian Moore moves over for Brad Keith Lowry. Um, a little bit of a note around him. Um, last year, he helped the College of Central Florida win the um, NC, or NJCAA JUCO College World Series. Um, hit hit a uh, 335 with 11 home runs, 40 RBIs, and 10 stolen bases. Fair numbers there. Uh, was a all-mid-Florida conference second-team performer last year. Um, and before that, he was at Wabash Valley College, where he batted 452 over 67 games, also stealing 21 bases. Um, reaction to Christian Moore being moved over to shortstop, probably the better move there? I think it's what we expected, right? Yeah. Uh, we we kind of said yesterday there wasn't really anybody that was going to be able to play short until Antigua got back. So I like moving Moore, especially for, for Lowry, who, looking at his stats, is going to be a nice addition to the lineup. Now, I don't think it's a permanent addition, but it'll be a nice utility guy for sure, a nice bat off the bench, a good first look at him that is sooner than a lot of us had anticipated. Um, and it'll be nice to see if he can do some base stealing as well. Ten, ten stolen bases, 21 the year before that. Mm-hmm. Bodes well as well. We'll see if maybe he gets the uh, gets the nod to bat leadoff. It sounds like uh, it, it probably will be him. I don't really see anybody besides Inslee uh, that could bat first and steal bases, so maybe give him the nod there. I like that. Uh, I, I do like giving Russell the game one start. That's uh, – it's a good sign. He had a, he had a great spring, great fall, um, and I'm looking forward to see what he can bring. Uh, no game three starter listed. Yes. We'll have to, I guess, wait and see probably till game day 
to know who gets that spot, but I, I like the way it lines up for the balls. Yeah, going back to yesterday, uh, my prediction was Seacrest or, or Seacrest um, as your day three starter. I think he's got the most experience. He was your midweek starter last year. Um, now you also have the Jacksonville State transfer, Wichita State transfer um, as well. Maybe they get involved. Um, got a pair of freshmen. I don't think we'll play in this spot, uh, but maybe down the road could be valuable. Um, you have uh, what is it, Matthew Dallas? That's um, a lot of them. Yep. Yeah, uh, and then I, I, brother of Chad Dallas, right? Is um, he related? I can't remember. I thought they said something about that. Well, a uh, brother of Michael Dallas. Michael so I, Dallas. I, I know Michael. Um, I, Michael went to our, or, and, and so did Matthew. Went to one of my rival high schools back okay. in, in Memphis. Uh, Michael and I are friends. Um, he's at Jacksonville State now. Okay. Um, his brother, um, even more talented, or as talented as Michael is, um, he very well could have gone and, and dipped his toe in the draft. Ends up staying and, and coming to Knoxville. Big get for them, uh, or get big get for the Vols, I should say. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see who they go um, for the game three starter. Obviously, I think it's subject to change as the, the season goes on. Um, but really, kind of plug and play, especially early on in the season when you have some opportunities against some. Uh, teams that might not be um, as talented as the ones you'll face in SEC play. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't mind the move, uh, just kind of keeping it uh, ominous of, of who will be starting. That's why it probably will be Seacrest, though, because I think it, playing a, you're going to be playing a good team. I can't remember if it's Oklahoma or Baylor on Sunday. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think mm-hmm. it's Baylor, um, a team you saw last year. Um, but it's a good opportunity to get him in against a, a good opponent, a solid opponent. He was a midweek starter last year, came out of the pen against some good opponents. Yeah. But give him a start, let him go you know, as long as he can go. Give him a, give him a full start uh, rather than the three innings you see him get in midweek games mm-hmm. and see if he can cut it early as the more experienced guy. I think he's more than earned the opportunity. So I imagine it will be him, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll see, what they, uh, we'll see what they go with. Yeah, so you open up with Texas Tech, uh, Oklahoma on Saturday oh, – excuse me um, – on Saturday, yes. Oklahoma on Saturday, Baylor, Baylor on, on Sunday. Sunday yeah. um, the home opener at Lindsey Nelson will be UNC Asheville. Um, I don't think Drew Pember's playing in that one. So, um, Doubt it. Um, so um, that will be a nice nice opportunity to get a couple of these younger guys involved, especially with the great class you had come in. Um, and, and really kind of harp on a couple of things we talked about yesterday. Um, getting a little bit more from that outfield, seeing what they can be um, – uh, seeing what they can do this year, especially a little bit unproven. Um, also, opportunity to get the bats rolling early on this season, carry some momentum. Um, and, and you don't start conference play until uh, March. March 15th yeah. uh, against Alabama. Interesting matchup with Illinois um, in the middle of be uh, fun. Yeah. right before um, the weekend before you start uh, SEC play with Alabama. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think this team has. The capability to make it back to the World Series, I think uh, a lot of it depends on your your question marks on this team, how they perform, um, and and really, you know, your pitchers, your outfield, what can they do? You know how good the infield is. That's really going to be the, um, the, I guess, what you lean on with this team, but it'll be interesting to see how those guys perform. All right, that's going to wrap it up here on Overtime. Thank you so much for tuning in. For Dawson Wise, I'm William Pattison. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. We'll see you.